Hello, this is Andrea Walton, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the Friday, May 5th, and Saturday, May 6th issues of the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Friday's paper headlines is The Verdict is In, and there's a picture of some students participating in mock trial. The subtitle is Graduating Seniors Prepare to Say Goodbye at a Popular Program. Six Genesee County Youth Court members are getting ready to move on, graduating from the program this week. This will be the last summer they participate in youth court, and the six seniors were honored with a graduation ceremony on Tuesday. They were among 23 students to participate in youth court this year, helping the program hear some of the 275 cases that have come before it since it began 15 years ago. A lot of these kids standing here have had excellent attendance in youth court as well, Youth Bureau and Youth Court Coordinator Chelsea Elliott said of the graduates. It's not just, are they coming sometimes? These kids are pretty much here all the time. I couldn't have run this program without them. Ella Bromstead is a student at Batavia High School and was sworn in as a youth court member in January of 2019. She mostly played a role as a judge and has been a role model for other members. Bromstead will attend Mercyhurst University in the fall and major in international business. Karis Carlson, a Byron Burton student, was also sworn in in January 2019. She has been a youth court chief judge, a role in which she explains, explains to respondents the disposition of their cases, hoping to make a real impact on their lives. Carlson plans to major in environmental science at Genesee Community College and enroll there this fall. Caitlin Everett of Leroy Junior Senior High School has been a youth court member since January 2021. She has been a defense attorney and a judge. Her plans are to attend Hiram College this fall to study neuroscience. Libby Piper of Byron Virgin was sworn in as a youth court member in January 2019 and has mainly played a, played a role as judge and defense attorney. She will attend SUNY Stony Brook and major in Spanish. Matthew Tanner of Byron Virgin has been involved in many roles since being sworn in as a youth court member in January 2019. He says he really enjoyed being a prosecutor. Tanner will pursue a dual major in political science and journalism at Lipscomb University. Evelyn Tomiti is a student at Notre Dame High School who was sworn in as a youth court member in January of 2019. She will attend the Honors College and major in biology. I'm going to miss you guys so much. Thank you for all the time you've dedicated to our program, Elliot said, looking at the graduating seniors. I hope some of you stay on as advisors to help our newbies, and I'll always be here when you need me. The theme of this year's Law Day a day traditionally celebrated on May 1st, is designed to shed light on how new laws protect liberties and on the process by which the legal system tries to achieve justice. Elliot said this year's theme was cornerstone of democracy, civility, and collaboration. The Youth Court began in Genesee County in January of 2008. The Youth Bureau coordinates this program with support from the County Department of Social Services. Our hope for this program is that the youth who come before our members really learn from their mistakes, Elliot said. We hope they come here, they say, I don't want to get in trouble again, and then they don't end up across the street at family court or anywhere else in our criminal justice system. Elliot noted youth court proceedings are confidential. Any youth that comes through our program, our kids are sworn in that they cannot talk about that case outside of court, she said. They take it very seriously. I'm sure a lot of our parents here know that. Even if a parent asks what happened at youth court that night, a student isn't allowed to say anything. 
but parents had a chance to see how the program operates through Tuesday evening's mock trial involving a respondent who had pleaded guilty to second-degree harassment and criminal trespass. As parents watched, youth court members disposed of the case and attorneys called witnesses and asked questions to provide a better understanding of the case. Two were charged in a school threat, city police. Two juveniles have been charged in connection with the April 20th threat that forced a lockout at Genesee County School Districts. The two children, ages 12 and 13, were attending Notre Dame High School, city police said. They allegedly called a suicide hotline and threatened to shoot up a school, saying it would happen immediately. Officers from several police agencies responded to schools throughout the county, along with Genesee Community College. On-scene detectives determined quickly that the threat was not credible and the schools were released from lockout soon afterward. The juveniles have been charged with making a terroristic threat. Police are declining to release further information due to the juveniles' ages. Nobody is able to enter or exit a school facility during a lockout, but classes otherwise continue as normal. The Genesee County incident generated some concern among parents and family members at the time it occurred and before the lockout was canceled. Numerous school districts statewide have received threats and swatting attempts in recent months. Swatting occurs when a person communicates a threat against a person or entity in an attempt to generate a police response. In a separate incident, Pioneer Central School buildings were subjected to a lockout April 21st out of an abundance of caution after a threat was emailed to the school. Turning now to Richard Siebert, who resigns from WROTB board. A long-serving member of the Western Regional Off-Track Betting Corporation Board of Directors was resigned after 29 years on the board. Genesee County Board Representative Richard Siebert said stepping down has been on his mind for a while, but that he was also disgusted by the legislation that became part of the state budget adopted Tuesday night. Under the bill, the WROTB directors were all terminated, though they could conceivably be reappointed by their counties. Under the new system, the board's 17 directors will represent the same 15 counties and two cities they did before. But Erie and Monroe counties and the cities of Buffalo and Rochester <coughs> pardon me, will have more votes than any other director under the weighted voting system. I just think it's time to step down, Siebert said Wednesday morning of his resignation. He said the county can now put someone on the board who wants to fight what the Democrats are doing and believes the latter want to get rid of the WROTB officers. He believes the situation is political and a witch hunt against WROTB and Batavia Downs gaming president Henry Wojcicki. We've got a lot of people at the track who are, quite frankly, worried about their jobs and they shouldn't be, Siebert said. Siebert said he's proud of his time with the board participating in the meetings and representing Genesee County. I guess I'm a little tired of seeing politics get in the way. It's not a good day to be Republican and work at Batavia Downs, Siebert, who also serves as the Genesee County Republican Commissioner, stated. In the meantime, numerous lawmakers and officials have decried the changes set for Western Regional Off-Track Betting under the new state budget, describing it as a Democratic-led politicization of the agency. In the meantime, several area lawmakers have joined Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, Republican from Canandaigua, in condemning the changes. Tenney released a statement Wednesday 
after the changes became public. Reactions from area lawmakers included from Tenney. Negotiated and agreed upon in the dead of night without any input outside of Erie County and the city of Buffalo. The termination of every appointed commissioner of the Western Regional Off-Track Betting Corporation is an attack on rural New York counties. For half a century, the Western Regional OTB has operated under shared control between 15 county governments and the cities of Rochester and Buffalo, promoting economic growth, jobs, and tax revenue across Western New York. With the passage of New York's big ugly budget, the Western Regional OTB has been politicized and the role of rural counties has been greatly diminished, with far more power now set to go to the cities. Now, more than ever, when crime rates are skyrocketing, taxes are soaring, and people are fleeing the state at unprecedented rates, Governor Hochul should be focused on correcting these problems, not destroying the Western Regional OTB. State Senator Rob Ort, Republican from North Tonawanda, stated, the Western Regional OTB language snuck into the state budget is Albany's latest attack on rural communities. Governor Hochul and Albany Democrats have conspired to eliminate the longstanding arrangement that allowed 15 counties and the cities of Rochester and Buffalo to have balanced representation on the OTB board. The voice of rural counties is being smothered out simply because they are represented by Republicans. This is nothing more than a partisan power grab disguised as reform. Chairman David Lefebvre of the Livingston County Board of Supervisors stated, The proposed legislation to change the membership of the Board of Directors of the Western Regional Off-Track Betting Corporation will negatively alter the balanced representation formula previously provided by the state legislator and the governor. This agreement has proven to be fair and impartial by affording each municipality that comprises the corporation an equitable voice in all board matters. I strongly oppose any changes to this agreement as it will cause undue harm to Livingston County and its governance and economic interests in the corporation. Chairwoman Lynn Johnson of the Orleans County Legislature weighed in with, once again, Albany is okay with large counties taking away the representation of smaller and rural counties in a power grab. This time it is the Board of Directors of Western Regional Off-Track Betting, Batavia Downs Gaming, that is the target. Currently, each member county gets equal representation, but not in the new plan. Weighted voting will give control to the large counties, especially Erie County. Governor Hochul should line item veto this legislation that hurts small counties like Orleans. Fifty years ago, by home rule vote, OTB was created and representation balanced and fair. This attempted change is wrong. I think we're going to hear quite a bit more about that in the next few days. The DNR Depot restaurant is up for sale. Time for change. Owner says popular establishment is at its pinnacle. DNR Depot, a mainstay in the village of Leroy for more than 30 years, is for sale. Owner Sean Valdez, who as a teenager began working as a dishwasher at the iconic restaurant in 1993, announced the sale in a YouTube video on Tuesday. I wanted to take a moment to share some exciting news about the DNR Depot. As of this morning, we are officially up for sale, he said in the video. It's been a wonderful 30 years of our lives. We've met so many great people, worked with so many great people, have catered so many amazing functions. But it's time for change. The announcement came eight months after the death of Nancy Nickerson, who opened the restaurant in September of 1991. When Nickerson and her late husband Don purchased the building, it had been a Victorian tea room with pink walls and lacy curtains. 
Under Nickerson and later Valdez, the restaurant embraced its building's history as a former train passenger depot with railroad memorabilia, paintings, and photographs decorating the dining room. The building was originally on the Buffalo, Rochester, and Pittsburgh line, then became the Baltimore and Ohio in 1940. The building was a passenger depot until 1968, four years after Jolo left Leroy. Valdez said he didn't want the restaurant to be the one that hung on too long with the old ownership. I wanted to make sure that we look for someone to take over the depot at our height, at our pinnacle, he said in the video, not at our lowest. We are announcing now in the hopes to find somebody that will be able to not only take over a business, but someone who wants to share the experiences and friendships of the thousands that we get to every single month. He said there is no buyer in the wings or changes in hours or staff, but we are listed. That's a really nice place, so I hope they do find another good owner for that. Verizon project will cause traffic delays in Batavia. Planned work by Verizon will cause traffic delays starting next week in the city. The delays will take place on Route 5 between Bank Street and Redfield Parkway, city officials said in a news release. Verizon will be closing one of the two westbound lanes while working is underway. The delays are expected to take about two weeks. Route 98 northbound will also be closed for one day when the work reaches that area. Call the State Department of Transportation at 585-343-0502 for more information. The community luncheon in Castile is changing its schedule. A change has been announced in the Castile United Church of Christ monthly community luncheon. The luncheon, known as Meals and Missions, will move to the third Tuesday of each month starting on May 16th. The meals will begin at noon. The Civil War Roundtable has set its May meeting in Pavilion. The Genesee Valley Civil War Roundtable will meet on May 17th. The session will start at 7 p.m. at the Pavilion United Methodist Church at the corner of Routes 19 and 63. Dean June will present where the runways settled in Canada and then what happened. Dues for 2023 will be collected at that meeting. Orleans YMCA is planning a Bad Apple Mud Run. The Orleans County YMCA will conduct its Bad Apple Mud Run on May 20th. The event will start at 10 a.m. at Lynn Oaken Farms on 11540 Platten Road in Lindenville. Cost is $30 per person or $100 per group of five. For more information, call 585-798-2040. Moving along. There were quilts of valor that were presented. They stir emotional memories at Manor House. It's a gesture of thanks. When Sherman C. Horton, Welf Hyde, George Sonricker, and John Yeager were asked whether they wanted blankets, they accepted. The Ford veterans got the blankets they were promised when the Senior Center Quilt Guild presented them with Quilts of Valor Wednesday at the Manor House on East Main Street. Horton, a veteran who served the Army Air Corps during World War II, had an emotional story to tell when he came to the front of the room to receive his blanket. In 1944-1945, my belly gunner came to me and asked me if I would go with him. His friend's plane had gone down that day. All people on the ship were killed but this fellow, he said, crying as he recalled what happened. He said there were 10 people on the plane that went down, with the belly gunner the only survivor. The Air Corps veteran said it happened during training. What happened was the co-pilot had the wrong lever on the console and hit the flaps instead of the wheels, he said. 
The plane was loaded with sand bombs. It crashed into a Savannah, Georgia swamp. Just one little mistake would wipe out a whole crew. The surviving serviceman was in such shock over the tragedy and should have been in the hospital, Horton said. I thought about that so many times. All it took was one mistake, he said. That was an experience I just wanted to share with you. Army veteran Sonricker said it was a privilege to accept the quilt. That's something I never expected, he told the people who attended the ceremony. Sonricker said he wanted to say something on behalf of Horton. My time in the service was peacetime. There wasn't anyone shooting at me, he said. I feel like I took part in the service. I had two older brothers who served in Germany all through the war. Sonricker remembers Christmas 1944 when he was seven years old. He said his sister remembered their mother saying of his older brothers, I hope the boys are warm and dry. The Quilt of Valor recipient said this recollection catches up with him emotionally. I did serve and the other fellows served too. It's just that peacetime was my time. That's the way it was, he said. Receiving the blanket was an honor to him, one for which he was grateful, Sonricker told everyone. When it was his turn to receive a blanket, Jurger, also an Army veteran, said the story Horton told was a tragedy and that things happened in peacetime during training. One of the biggest things that happened, I remember, when I was at the brigade level back in Fort Hood, Texas, was we had a brigade commander who was a second lieutenant in Vietnam, Jurger said. He told us that one of the biggest things he ever learned was that you had to train every day like it was the real thing because you never knew when it was going to be the real thing. We used to have alerts when I was in Germany once every month. We never knew, at least until a half hour after it was all over, whether it was real or not. It's terrible, Jurger said, that there aren't more safety precautions being used today than there are. While serving, he said he had never been shot at and came back home in good health. I'm very thankful to God for that, he said. To the quilt goat, Sonricker said, I'm very thankful to you folks for acknowledging us for this. Thank you very much. There to present the quilts were Joan Hoffinger, Irene Pierce, Marge Conover, and Verna Oler, all members of the Senior Center Quilt Guild. I think all of us who worked on this project, the best part has been getting to meet the veterans and having a chance to see what they did, said Hoffinger. It's amazing. Very seldom do you find out just all that had accomplished, all that they survived. This is always my favorite part, is getting to read the biographies, learning about all the places these veterans have been around, the world are amazing, she said. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News and the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Moving to Friday's sports. A quartet of Dansville athletes signed letters. Earlier this week, a quartet of Dansville High School senior athletes signed to continue their athletic careers at the collegiate level. Maggie Bacon, Zach Creeley, Dawson Wadsworth, and Patrick Puffer will all be competing in college next year. Bacon will be running cross-country and track at St. John Fisher University, where she will study sports management. Criley will be swimming at SUNY Cortland and studying exercise science. Wadsworth will be a member of the track and field team at SUNY Geneseo while he studies education and administration, and Puffer will be heading to Alfred State to be on the track and field team and study welding. At the Section 5 state qualifier this past winter, Bacon ran with Riley Nigel, Helly Beeman, and Brianne Hurlbert to record a personal best time of 10.51 in the 3,200-meter relay, finishing 7th. Bacon also tied her personal best time in the 1,500-meter run. 
Last spring, Bacon finished fourth in both the 1500 meter and 3000 meters at the Section 5 Class B2 Championship. At last spring's Section 5 Class B2 Championship, Wadsworth took fourth in the 800 meters and seventh in the triple jump, while he finished a close second in the 800 meters at the LCAA Championship last season and also took second in the 800 meters. As a junior, Puffer took 11th in the 100 meter and 8th in the 200 meter at the Section 5 Class B2 Championship. This past winter, Puffer finished 11th in Section 5 Class A3 in the 55 meters. Swimming on the combined Dansville-Livonia team this winter, Criley was a quadruple winner at the Livingston Conference Championship. He won the 200 freestyle with a time of 152.61 and the 100 butterfly with a time of 56.37, while he also won as part of both the 200 medley and 200 freestyle relay teams. At the Section 5 Class B Championship, Creeley took 4th in the 100 backstroke and 5th in the 100 butterfly, while he was 5th as part of the 200 medley relay team and 8th as part of the 400 freestyle relay team. Avon alumnus Welch was honored. Avon High School alumnus and Nazareth College senior Mike Welch hit a personal best in the 400 meters and helped Nazareth to a pair of relay victories over the weekend and has been selected as the Empire 8 men's track and field track athlete of the week. Welch clocked a personal best in the 400 meters with a regional qualifying time of 49.98 and also helped with the 4x400 relay team to a first place finish, 324.08, and the 4x100 relay team to a third place finish with 43.34 at the Rochester Spring Invitational. Nazareth is scheduled to compete at the St. John Fisher Cardinal Classic meet this weekend. Moving to something a little different, harness racing. Jim Morrell Jr. sweeps feature paces at Buffalo Raceway on Wednesday. The distaff pacers took center stage at Buffalo Raceway on Wednesday afternoon, and it was driver Jim Morrell Jr. who will use two different ploys to share the spotlight in both featured events. Miss Rockadally was first to the winner's circle as Morrell Jr. guided her to a one-and-a-half-length victory in the $15,500 open pace. He then maneuvered the never-say-die Isla Sealster to a neck win in the $11,500 Open 2 pace. It was Miss Rockadelli who stomped out the fractions in the race. After watching Bank the Win briefly take control, Miss Rockadelli wanted no part of the pocket journey and recaptured the leading hitting the quarter pole in 29 seconds over the fast track. With fractions of 58.1 and 126.3 now on the board, Miss Rockadelli was ready to face the challenges of Bank the Win, driven by David McKnight III, and Philly Speaks, driven by Kylie Cummings, who were the only two left in contention hitting the top of the stretch. But Miss Rockadilly never wavered in the lane and posted the victory in 1 minute 55 seconds. Bank the Win took the place position, with Philly Speaks finishing in third. Owned by Team Italia Racing Stable and Lizette Moda, and trained by Russell Bratt, it was the fourth win in 12 tries for the eight-year-old Miss Rockadilly. Daily Southern Rock. The victory pushed her seasonal earnings to $40,981 and $262,045 lifetime winnings. While Morrell Jr. had an easy time of it with Miss Rockadilly, things were a lot tougher aboard Isla Sealster. At the start, Isla Sealster was three wide approaching the opening panel as a black diamond and chipper daisy played some hardball. 
but a huge hole opened up for Isla Seelster, and she took that seat briefly. Hitting the half in 57 seconds even, the outer flow began, and Isla Seelster managed to get out in time and became first over. That move was key as Isla Seelster hounded a black diamond driven by Kevin Cummings the rest of the way and eventually caught the pace setter in the shadow of the wire. Isla Seelster took the neck victory in a minute 56.3 while a black diamond was second, and Zena's chip, driven by Ray Fisher Jr., rolled in for third. Owned by Del Pazzo Swartz Palato LLC and trained by Christopher Petrelli, it was the fourth win of the year in 14 attempts for the six-year-old Isla Seelster. Sunshine Beach and Imagine Somalia were her, are her parents. Her seasonal bankroll increased to 27963 and her lifetime winnings are at $68,384. Morrill Jr. completed the card with a triple while Mitchell Cushing posted a double. Petrelli had a pair of training victories. Racing will resume on Friday afternoon at 2.30 with a 12-race card set. Also, there's a 12-race program slated for Saturday with a special 2.30 p.m. post time to accommodate the running of the Kentucky Derby. For more information, including the latest news, upcoming promotions, entries, results, and race replays, go to www.buffaloraceway.com. I kind of enjoy the pony, so that's why I read that one. It's a little off from our usual local sports, but it's still local, and Jim Morrell Jr. is a good driver. Holly Track and Field Team sweep Notre Dame on the Wednesday Roundup. A miserable day weather-wise didn't stop the Holly track and field teams from putting together a strong performance on Wednesday against visiting Notre Dame. The Hawks boys got a trio of triple winners in a 90-45 victory, while the girls were led by Sam Bates and Allison Merle as they took care of the Fighting Irish 98-43. For the Holly boys, Drew Carlston, Cole Patchla, and Chris Moisier all were a part of the three victories apiece. Carlston captured the 100 meters in 12.2 and the 200 meters in 24.9, while he also won as part of the 4x100 relay in 50.1. Pochla also ran the 4x100 relay while he won both hurdles events, 110 meter hurdles in 20.2 and the 400 meter hurdles in 112.6. Mosier won in both the 4x100 relay and the 4x400 relay with 424.8, while he also crossed first in the 400 meters with a time of 103. Holly also had three double winners as Mason Miriam took the 1600 meters in 509.2 and the 3200 meters in 1125.5. Vinny Galisano won the high jump with a 5 foot 6 and the long jump with a 17 foot 2 and a half inch. And Hunter Pochla won the 800 meters with a time of 225.5 and was also a part of the 4x400 relay. Riley Allen and Cam Bates rounded out the 4x100 relay with Holly's Dylan Boyko. Hawkins Daly, Tyler Moore, and Harrison Flanagan winning the 4x800 relay in 1156.2. For Notre Dame, Maverick Hall won both throwing events with a 45 in the shot put and a 118.6 in discus, while Matt Compton won the pole vault 7'7", and Justice Yurkowski captured the triple jump with a 34'7". inch. For the Holly girls, Bates had a huge day as she was victorious in the high jump with a 4'5", the long jump with a 14.4, and the 200 meters with a time of 29.1, while she also anchored the winning 4x100 relay team, which finished in 56.4. Merle was an individual winner in the 100-meter hurdles, 18.9, and the 400-meter hurdles, 125.3, with 
while she also won as part of the 4x800 relay, 1331.7. The Hawks also had three double winners on the day in Jalen Bishop, shot foot, 29 foot 3 inches, 400 meters and 111.5. Zoe Wolf took the 1500 meters and 624.6 and was on the 4x800 relay. And Alexa Renner finished the 100 meters in 14.1 and was on the 4x100 relay. Also for Holly, Mackenzie Florido won the discus with a throw of 62 foot, 11 and a half inches. For Notre Dame, Teresa Compton won the triple jump with a 31 foot, 1 and a half inch. And Kate Rococo took the 800 meters with a time of 256.1. While both ran with Caitlin Kowalski and Sarah Nickerson to win the 4x400 relay in 504.1. Notre Dame's Autumn Matheson took the pole vault with an 8 foot 6 jump. In basketball, Akinas conquered Batavia 5-4. Batavia is 6-5 on the season, with Sean Kimball having five innings pitched, three hits, four runs, and nine strikeouts. Cole Grazio playing was 2-4. for four. Dane Dambrowski had a double and an RBI. For Aquinas, which is 6-4 on the season, Michael Calagro was 2-4 for four with a double and an RBI. For in the golf standings, Caledonia Mumford finished 175, Perry 262, and Warsaw 265 at Silver Lake. Caledonia Mum is 9-0 for the season. Tyler Cook had a 39 and was the medalist. Liam McArdle was 44. Noah McCready was at 45, and Josh Middleton at 46. Perry is 3-10 on the season. Carson Petrie knocked in at 53. Brady Kelly at 67 and Devin Swaskowski at 68. Warsaw is 1-7 on the season with Emmett Storrs uh, coming in at 56 and Mike Simpson at 60. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. There were no obituaries in Friday's paper, so we're moving to Saturday's paper. Front page shows a picture of a really bad car accident. Fortunately, the occupants are dummies. It's the fatal season. Students watch accident simulation as prom season approaches. In Gainesville, sirens, police, injuries, and death. Juniors and seniors at Letchworth Central School got an exciting look Thursday at what can happen when someone drives drunk. They hear about drunk driving. They hear about accidents but it never really hits home. So we dress up their schoolmates and make them look like they were in a car accident, which was a DWI because one of them was driving while intoxicated, said prevention specialist Amanda Myers of Partners for Prevention. So they can actually see in real life what it would be like if they lost a classmate or someone they know in this type of a situation. Besides Partners for Prevention, the simulation included Wyoming County Emergency Services and the Sheriff's Office along with firefighters, rescue personnel, and other area first responders. They say the goal is to help students make good decisions with prom graduations coming up soon. When we do drills like this, it is hopefully to help them realize that the results of making bad decisions while they are operating a motor vehicle any time of the year, said Deputy Ivan Karasikwil. It could be prom season, graduation, or any time of the year. But this is the harsh reality and reminder that we want them to be safe. We want them to make good decisions, and this is what can happen and has happened in our community. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration reported in 2019 
that about 300 teens suffered fatal injuries in drunk driving accidents before or after the prom over the past several years. About one-third of fatal drunk driving accidents involving teen drivers occurred during the peak of prom and graduation season between April and June. Unfortunately, the kids do not really understand as they see adults drinking and using other legal drugs, Meyer said. In their mind, it does not set in that it is going to do them harm. So actually seeing what it can do and the possibilities of what can happen has a much larger effect on them. In the mock simulation, 11th grade student Evan Carter played the drunk driver whose actions killed 12th grade student Isabel Talley. While it was just a drill and nobody was injured during the simulation, Talley said she hopes it will be a wake-up call for students watching it. A lot of my classmates, this is a possibility for them, and I think the reality check will do them good, she said. EMT Val Lundy agreed that it will be good for students but admits seeing what can happen because of drunk driving can be an emotional experience. It is just to teach the kids not to drink and drive and what can happen, she said. It is traumatizing for them. You are going to see a lot of kids crying, really watching it, and you are going to hear complete silence over there when they watch this unfold. I am glad that they are watching it and paying attention, but I am also feeling bad for them because that is a classmate, and this is going to stick with them for the rest of their lives when they see this, she continued. That is exactly what Wyoming County Superintendent of Schools Todd Campbell is hoping for, and he hopes students who could make a bad decision will think twice before making one that could change their lives forever. They have to realize that one decision can change the course of their life or someone else's life. So it is to give them the experience of taking this in and asking questions, but to also reflect on the whole idea of what we stress every day, and that is what every decision matters, Campbell said. They are decisions and judgments that people taking part in the mock crash are hoping the students will remember long after the, after the event is over. This is our public service message to our community, our high school community, staff, parents, that we want them to be safe. We want them to be careful when they are out there by themselves, late at night or during the day. It does not matter. This is what we do not want to happen, Corsiquillo said. I think it was a very good way to try and teach them. They've been doing prom season trainings like this since I was in high school, I know, and every year they, they come up with a new way to try and teach people how serious the situation can be. Lewiston Road residents share traffic worries. Residents of Lewiston Road remain concerned about what the traffic flow from future developments might do to the safety of their neighborhood. They shared those concerns with the town planning board this week and were told a corridor study is being done that will consider future development and the improvements needed if that happens. Michael Schrader of 8196 Lewiston Road said at Tuesday's planning board meeting that there have been four fatal accidents over the years on Lewiston Road between the bridge and his mailbox. I watched a girl burn to death because I couldn't get her out of the car, he said. Once a month at least when I go to get my mail, there's a car there's car parts laying all around. Those accidents probably never get reported. People come over that bridge, they lose control, Schrader said. Aside from four fatal accidents, there have been numerous vehicles coming over the guardrail nearly into his front yard. He asked the planning board to ensure that people living along Lewiston Road affected by projects are advised by mail, not email, about an upcoming meeting. There's not that many houses, he said. They can well afford to send out a letter saying this is what we're doing. 
Michael Bromley of 8234 Lewiston Road asked if there would be any discussions Tuesday night on the Lewiston Road property where solar energy systems proposed by Advanced Solar Power Holdings, Glenn Zhao being the owner, would be located. The board on Tuesday agreed to seek lead agency status for the State Environmental Quality Review of the proposal. Bromley said after he was at the March 7th meeting, he spoke to town engineer Steve Mountain and building inspector Dan Lang. He said he asked for some diagrams and any information available on the Glenzow property located on the west side of Lewiston Road. There was a tractor supply proposed for 8727 Lewiston Road, which would include a road the developer would build to go from Lewiston Road and end next to the tractor supply site. We were very concerned with the traffic when we thought that was the only road that was going in, he said. However, in the plans for the Zao property, it shows a road going in between two homes directly across from there, so there will be this intersection coming over to potentially be on Route 5. If you're doing a traffic study and you plan to put that road in, it makes it even a bigger concern for us. The two people who would be at the intersection, the two houses, have no chance of getting out of their driveways. Planning Board Chairwoman Kathy Jasinski said the traffic study the town has now is only on tractor supply. Art Marshall of 8271 Lewiston Road asked what the board's procedure is today for communication and transparency. I think all that will, be, will build trust, he said. If there's a better way to do it online or timely things online, please consider that. Please define how we should be getting information. It always seems as though we're working very hard. We've asked, my wife's asked, the Bromleys have asked, we've all asked for information, and I don't think we're getting it in a timely fashion. I may be wrong. Marshall asked how, before the board's next meeting, should the public stay up to date with information and to know what project is being brought out on an agenda. Carrie Marshall of the same address asked for information through the mail, saying not everyone will look online to track down information. If you send it to us, you com communicate it to us, and everything's transparent. Just send all the residents on Lewiston Road what's going on, what the agenda is, she said. Dzinski said the town sends a mailing to anyone who lives within 500 feet of a project. Terry Marshall said they may be more than 500 feet, but they're concerned. They're going to build stuff behind us at some point, she said. As everybody's talked about, you can't take each piece at a time. You have to look at the whole plan when you're doing these things. This piece of road here is going to go all the way to Veterans Memorial Drive. Now it's going to go all the way across the street, and it's obviously a very dangerous area right now. Board member Steve Tanner said the board hasn't seen any plans for the solar projects on Lewiston, and no studies have been done to show what a road that would be put in would look like. What would be the proposed businesses along the roadway? What kind of traffic would they give to the roadway? What would they do to the traffic that would make improvements required or not required, he asked. I can't share with you something we don't have. Town engineer Steve Mountain said the town hasn't received a complete application for the solar projects. He noted the board was seeking lead agency, but, but until the board gets a complete application, there is no project. There are a lot of accidents in that whole corridor on the Wiston Road, he said. We've done a traffic study just for tractor supply, but we also have in the works a full corridor study which will identify all those future needs for all the future expansion and the build-out. It's something that's been studied several times over almost 17 years, he said. The corridor study that we're doing currently is going to take into account full build-out per our master plan. 
all the commercial land use, anything that's built out on both sides of 63, Lewiston Road, it's going to take all the potential build-out of that based on similar commercial build-out of commercial areas in town. It's going to take that and it's going to generate what improvements are going to be needed. There will be a traffic light sometime in the future. The improvements will be staged so that any future development in the corridor. All the future developers will have to pay into what those future improvements will be, he said. That ensures that all the right improvements happen at the right time. In response to a question about when the corridor study would be done, Mountain said the town hopes to have it by midsummer of this year. Michael Bromley's wife, Tanny, said she understands there's a process as far as voting on lead agency, but the board needs to take everything into account at the same time. Otherwise, she said, the tractor supply traffic study is obsolete. All this is connected, she said, to the tractor supply and potential solar projects. The fact that we don't know about it is not fair to the people who are affected by it. The road that's going in and then the potential future solar project, it doesn't seem transparent to the people affected because you're not allowing us to know the information ahead of time. Tanny Brownlee said she and other residents are not upset by potential growth in Batavia and people potentially moving to the area, but added, these projects that you're bringing in affect the people that have lived here 30 years who have put equity into the properties that will be affected by these things. Definitely a lot of considerations need to be made there, I would say. Well, we have some musicians making the news this week. The title article is, And the Musicians Will Play On. Leroy, five seniors recognized during a signing day event. Five Leroy Junior Senior High School students will be able to continue studying music in one way or another. Because of that, they were in the spotlight at the school this week. Seniors Jackson Kane, Alexiana Clark, Connor McGee, Evan Williams, and Nathan Yachis have all passed their auditions and are ready to move on after graduation in June. Three of them, Kane, Clark, and McGee, will continue their studies at SUNY Fredonia. Evan Williams will go on to Point Park University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Nathan Yahtzee will study at SUNY Potsdam's Crane School of Music. The group sat down for a music signing day ceremony in the foyer of the junior senior high school. We have not one, not two, not three, not four. We have five graduating seniors who are going to be attending colleges, universities for some form of music, whether that be performance, education, theater, business, sound recording, said percussion lessons instructor for grades 4 to 12 and marching nights director Matthew Nordhausen. What they are doing is a culmination of literally years of study and effort and training, not unlike any of our scholar athletes that go on and sign for D1 schools and things of that nature. The students had to pass a rigorous series of auditions to be accepted into their schools. We wanted to recognize the additional efforts and skill and musicianship of these particular five seniors and wish them well on their upcoming journey into college, Nordhausen said. The instructor said Kane will be a music education major. His primary instrument is percussion. Not only did I get the pleasure of working with Jackson and kind of starting him off with Ms. Jessa Deschamps in the elementary school instructional program, I got to be Jackson's percussion teacher all the way from 4th grade through 12th grade, Nordhausen, a percussionist himself, said. From 4th through 12th grade, if a student is studying percussion, then they are with me through that entire time. I look forward to venturing down to Fredonia and listening to his upcoming concerts, Nordhausen said of Kane. 
Clark plays the French horn and has been beginner band teacher and French horn teacher Jessica Deschamps, private student for the last three years. She's been fantastic. It's been such a joy to see her grow over these years, Deschamps said. Clark will study music education and music performance on French horn. McGee was introduced by junior senior high band director Natasha Dots, his trumpet teacher, since he was in eighth grade. Connor's truly one of the greatest musicians, not that I ever taught, that I've ever met. And I've met a lot. I can't wait to see what he does in college and beyond, Dot said. Williams and the other four seniors had been taught by grades 5 to 12 vocal teacher Jacqueline McLean since they were in fifth grade. He is my first student to go into mu musical theater, she said of Williams. I have been following him around Rochester watching shows for the last several years. I am beyond proud. Between pre-screenings that he had to do to prepare with monologues and songs and working with specialists from all over the country, and me being just this small part of it here at Leroy, we are so proud of you. Yahtzee will study music business at Potsdam. You've seen him on stage in our musicals. You've seen him on stage in our concerts, said high school vocal music teacher Jeffrey Fisher. You've seen him as flounder in The Little Mermaid, a man of many talents, some of which you may not know. Nate plays guitar. He's a multi-instrumentalist. After the signing and photos ended, Yahtzee said he thought the ceremony, which was new for music students, was special. To get recognized like that was pretty nice, he said. The senior said he got into music in sixth grade. My voice is my main instrument, he said. I play the trumpet, the guitar, the ukulele, the bass guitar. Of those instruments, Yahtzee said the guitar is his favorite. At Leroy, he has played the trumpet more than once. I've been in all the theatrical shows. I sang in multiple concerts. I've been in the Nightingale's Acapella Choir. Everything, he said. Clark said she's been playing French horn since fourth grade. She said, aside from private lessons, Deshant has been her French horn teacher since Clark was in fourth grade. I'm involved in various ensembles like the marching band, the musicals, she said. Outside of school, she's been involved with the Hochstein Unit Wind Symphony in Rochester and the Allstate and All-County Ensemble. Sounds like we got quite a few talented musicians in the area. You've been listening. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Obituaries in the Saturday's paper must have included Fridays because Friday had none and Saturday has quite a few. Peter Albright, age 63 of Orlando, Florida, formerly of Pike. Alwyn Clattenburg, age 89 of Batavia. Thomas Easterbrook, age 84 of Sebastian, Florida, formerly of Alabama. Major retired Samuel Gerace, age 86 in Lawton. He was born in Batavia. Robert N. Briggs, age 80 of Warsaw. Dorothy Isabel Charlau Tyler, age 100. She was born in Medina. Ann Rupert, age 90 of Alexander. Joshua Patrick Martin, age 40 of Batavia. Henry Hank Dykes, age 83, of Batavia, and Randall S. Pichon, age 64, of Batavia. Moving on to Saturday's sports. The Rotary Tourney is slated for Saturday. Following a hiatus due to COVID-19, the Batavia Rotary Club baseball tournament returned last spring with Batavia edging crosstown rival Notre Dame 10-9 in the title game. And this year is shaping up to be another excellent showcase with four teams that will all be in the mix for the championship. 
On Saturday, Batavia will again be joined by Notre Dame and Attica, while Oakfield, Alabama will be in the field this season, replacing Leroy. Batavia will meet Attica in the opener at Dwyer Stadium at 11 a.m. with Notre Dame and Oakfield, Alabama facing off in the second first-round game at 2 p.m. The championship game is scheduled for 7 p.m. Each game will be available with commentary live on the Batavia Daily News Sports Network. With only Oakville, Alabama scheduled to be in action on Friday, Notre Dame enters the tournament with the best record of the bunch as the Fighting Irish are sitting at a perfect 11-0. Meanwhile, Oakville, Alabama was 8-1 as of Thursday, with Attica coming in with a 6-4 record and Batavia sitting at 6-5. For Notre Dame, it has been an impressive start to the season both on the offensive end and on the mound. The Fighting Irish have outscored their opponents 133-7 and have a team ERA of just 0.11 while they are hitting 370 as a team. And no matter who Notre Dame puts on the hill in the opener, you know that they will have them in position to get it done. Junior Ryan Fitzpatrick and senior Bryston Berry have led the way this season as both are 4-0 with ERAs of 0. Barry has a pair of shutouts, and Fitzpatrick has one, with Jaden Sherwood sitting at 2-0 with an ERA of .46. Barry has been outstanding in his four outings, as he has allowed just four hits and one unearned run in 23 innings pitched, while he has struck out 48 and walked just five. Barry tossed a perfect game with 18 strikeouts and a win over Alexander last week. In 15 and one-third innings pitched, Fitzpatrick has allowed just seven hits and four unearned runs, while he has walked just four and struck out 31. On April 26, Fitzpatrick recorded a no-hitter during a 10-0 win over Attica. Sherwood has also pitched 15 and a third innings, has allowed four hits and one earned run with 36 strikeouts and just three walks. Barry, Fitzpatrick, Sherwood, and Jay Antonor have all hurled shutouts this season. As a team, Notre Dame has struck out 125 batters and walked just 12 in 62 innings. Barry is also leading the Fighting Irish at the plate as he is hitting 526 with three doubles, 20 runs scored, and 20 runs batted in. Jay Antnor is also over 400 as he is hitting 432 with three doubles, a triple, 16 runs scored, and six runs driven in. Joe DeRossio, Hayden Groff, and Sherwood have also put together solid seasons at the plate for Notre Dame. Durasio is hitting 389 with 6 runs scored and 5 RBI. Groff is at 355 with 16 runs scored and 12 driven in. And Sherwood is batting 353 with 5 runs scored and 5 RBI. Jordan Walker is 333 with 10 runs and 12 RBI. And Jimmy Fornaro is hitting 318 with 10 runs, also hitting over 300. The boys are always excited to play in this tournament, Notre Dame head coach Rick Rapone said. Each and every year it features the premier baseball teams in our area. This year we open with Oakfield, probably our top rival. I expect, as always, it will be a very competitive game. They have one of the top offensive teams in all of Class C, and they are really well coached, so we are going to have to be at our best. We played each one, each once this year, but that doesn't mean much. The core group of players have been battling against each other for three seasons, so both teams know exactly what to expect. Sounds like it should be a good tournament. In flag football, Batavia stays perfect with a win over Eastridge. With leading rusher Anna Varland out with an illness, Julia Clark stepped right in and the Batavia flag football team didn't miss a beat on Thursday against visiting Eastridge. Clark ran for 131 yards and a touchdown and also threw for 74 yards as the Blue Devils stayed unbeaten on the young season with a 16-6 victory. 
Julia Clark stepped up huge for us tonight. Anna Varland was ill, and we needed her to fill some huge shoes for us, and Julia did it, Batavia head coach Van Buchholz said. Eastridge struck first on us, and for the first time we found ourselves behind, but our offense, led by Julia, settled down and really executed our game plan. With 10 different girls having catches or rushes for us, it shows how deep this team is. Nicole Doringer finished with 40 yards on the ground and a touchdown in the winning effort, while Ella Radley added 23 yards rushing, and Alyssa Turner caught two passes for 31 yards. Kylie Brennan led the defensive attack for Batavia with eight flagpoles, including four for a loss, while Doringer added five flagpoles with three coming for a loss. Jamin McDonald added five flagpoles for the Blue Devils as well. Defensively, we are so aggressive and fly to the ball so quickly, it is very tough for teams to get anything going, Buchwald said. Kylie Brennan and Nicole Doringer are so fast off the ball, I think teams are shocked by it. We made a lot of mistakes tonight, but effort and hustle really helped hide those mistakes. We had a lot of work to do, but being 3-0 helps make those corrections a little bit easier. In softball, Bath Haverling blanks Hornell. The Bath Haverling softball team got an impressive outing from Kaylee Witherall in the circle as the Rams got past Hornell 4-0 in Livingston Conference action on Thursday. Witherall went the distance and allowed just two hits while she struck out 15 in the win. Madison Coots ripped a two-run home run in the second inning on a 1-2 count to give Bath Haverling all the runs it would need. Riley Lavardi led the way at the plate with three hits on the day for the Rams, while Cadence Spears added a pair of hits. Lillian Hoyt took the loss for her now after she allowed eight hits and struck out seven. Parker Graham and Jordan Deering each had hits in the losing effort for the Red Raiders. Bath Haverling improved to an 8-2 on the season, while Cornell dropped to 5-5. Five five. Oakfield, Alabama stays hot with two wins in golf on Thursday. The Oakfield, Alabama Elba golf team continued its hot streak on Thursday afternoon with wins over Pembroke and Alexander at Chestnut Hill on the par 36 course. The match was shortened to seven holes due to weather conditions. Braden Smith played a round of five over to earn the medalist honors. While Alden Warner was seven over, Jake Walzik finished at nine over, and Mason Cadeau was ten over. Brandon Beal led the way for Alexander with an 11 over round as the Trojans topped Pembroke. Keshequa, 126, Warsaw, 133 at Silver Lake Country Club at a par 35 course. Keshequa is 4-8 on the season, with Nathan Thayer being the medalist with 29, Cam Bean at 30, Greg Loper 32, Preston Howell 35, and Noah Cowdrick 45. Note, the match was shortened to five holes due to weather conditions. Aquinas was 227, while Batavia was 253 at Terry Hills, which is a par 36 course. Batavia is 3-6 on the season, with Nick Ange coming in at 44, and Aquinas is 7-5 on the season, with John Leary being the medalist with 39. In tennis, Oakfield, Alabama, Notre Dame rolled to GR victories. The Oakfield, Alabama tennis team hasn't had many issues this spring, and that continued on Thursday against Holly. The Hornets got easy wins from both doubles teams as they remained unbeaten with a 5-0 victory over the Hawks. Trevor Enns and Michael Woodward at first doubles, and Emily Wolchak, Wolkos, and Colton Yassis at second doubles. Both cruised to 6-0-6-0 victories to lead the way. At first singles, Preston Tobolsky outlasted Cave and Bennett 6-4-7-5, while Carson Warner was a 6-0-6-3 winner at second doubles over Jalen Tate and Randy McIntyre took a 6-0-6-0 victory at third singles. 
Oakfield, Alabama, improved to 8-0. Notre Dame 4, Alexander 1. Notre Dame winners were Ron and Hoffmeister, first single 6-2-6-4 over Owen Dunbar. Brandon Carrick had second singles at 6-2-6-2 over Aubrey Ham. Justice Yurkowski and Riley Yonker, first doubles 6-2-6-4 over Catherine McClellan and Carly Cook. Anthony Florentino and Jordan Dreyer were second doubles with 6-4-1-6-6-4 over Emma Ferraro and Kristen Thompson. The Alexander winners were Paul Smith at third singles 6-4-6-1 over Chance King. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the Friday, May 5th, and Saturday, May 6th issues of the Batavia Daily News. Your reader has been Andrea Walton. Thank you for listening.